podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 19th of May, and we're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, use your Now TV outside the UK. Also keeps your data safe, which is the most important thing. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN and you'll get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. So do check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for any giftware or homeware needs that you may have. Right, folks, four games in the Premier League last night. We'll rattle through them quickly. Manchester United won, Fulham won. A very flat performance from United. They went 1-0 up. On 15, a brilliant finish from Edinson Cavani, chipping the goalkeeper from about 40 yards. However, it is as blatant an offside as you will ever see. David De Gea plays the ball out from the back. Cavani is offside. The ball goes by Bruno Fernandes, who flicks his heel at it, doesn't make any contact. It's blatant that he doesn't make any contact. Because in the slow motion replay, you can see... The rotation of the ball does not change at all from Fernandez's alleged flick. Cavani had worked his way back onside, so if Bruno had made contact, he would have been onside. However, he did not. Bruno has been given an assist for this. He didn't touch the ball. Cavani, people are saying it's the goal of the season. It was offside. It should not have counted. United were very flat after that. Uh, disappointing performance. Mason Greenwood had an opportunity. Bruno Fernandes had a couple of pot shots, one half-decent free kick. But Joe Bryan made it 1-1, coming in off the left wing to score. Fulham had had some decent chances in the game. Uh, Fabio Carvalho, the young attacker, missed a really good chance when put through 1v1. Adam Ola-Luckman missed a good chance, though, from a tight angle. Zambo Wangisa ran the game from midfield um, and really looked a class above. Uh, especially compared to McTominay and Fred. But, like I said, a very flat performance from United. They stay second, and they will finish the league second. However, they're going to get a maximum of 74 points. That assumes they beat Wolves away on the final day, which, considering they have a Europa League final a few days after, seems like a tall order, because they'll probably rest basically everybody that they want to play in that final. And 74 points, I mean, it, it goes to show how weak the league has been this season. It it wouldn't have got you top four in certain seasons. In other seasons, it would have scraped you fourth. While United have progressed from last season, not by a huge amount, really not by a huge amount, even jumping 
from third to second, even with the maximum of an eight-point increase, I really don't see that there's been a massive amount of progression. I think the league as a whole has regressed from last year with no fans, with COVID, with all the different injuries that clubs have had to deal with because of the compressed schedule. So I think United are going to be an interesting team to watch next season. They may well be the one that just drops back a little bit. Now, I'm not saying they'll drop out of the top four, though it is possible. But this idea that they're all of a sudden the second best team in the country is a nonsense based in fiction. Uh, They're 12 points off City, who are falling over the finish line at the end of the season themselves. Um, Fulham are obviously going down. One game left to play. That's against Newcastle. On the on the final day, that's at home. They will hope to finish on a win. It it has no real bearing, but at least it would be a matter of pride, and they might just stay in 18th and not drop into 19th. Um, second game of the evening leads to Southampton nil at St Mary's. Alex McCarthy made some really good saves in this game and was absolutely atrocious for both goals. The first goal, the Bamford one. It's a flick ball over the top by Rodrigo. Bamford runs on to it. For some reason, the goalkeeper does not close him. He seems to assume it's going out of play. It's a weak finish from Bamford, but because the goalkeeper is not paying any real attention, uh, it dribbles past him into the net. And the second one, he makes a good save, and the ball comes back to Tyler Roberts. I see, he didn't make a save. Bamford's shot was blocked, or was it? I can't remember. I can't remember. Either it was blocked or it was a save, but it bounced back to Tyler Roberts, who from about, I would say, 12 to 14 yards out, rolled the ball into the net with the goalkeeper about a foot from where it went in. Bizarre goalkeeping. Absolutely bizarre. Whether he was expecting a powerful shot, I don't know. But it was a tidy finish from Roberts, his first goal of the season. An important goal for him and an important goal for Leeds because it means that Leeds United are guaranteed to finish in the top half. They are seven points clear of Aston Villa, who are 11th. They're now level on points with Everton. Everton have a game in hand. They're a point ahead of Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand. But they're guaranteed to finish in the top half, which is obviously a fantastic achievement. And Marcelo Bielsa and his staff have done an amazing job. They will finish out their season at home to West Brom. That's a game they'll expect to win. It's a game they should win. And that could give them 59 points which would be a great return. In your first season in the Premier League after so long out, it would be a fantastic return. It could well keep them in 8th, maybe even ninth. Beach. They've got Wolves tonight. Um, but Leeds have done incredibly well this season. For Saints, it's another defeat, 18 on the season. The only teams with more defeats are the three that are going down. They will be happy for this season to end next Sunday against West Ham. They will be very happy for the season to end because from January, it's just been a bit of a nightmare for them. And, um, you know, a couple of wins recently that got them a little bit of confidence back, but they've got a lot of work to do in the summer. They've got a lot of players that could probably be moved on. And they've got a lot of holes to fill. Um, Brighton 3, Manchester City 2. City went 1-0 up after uh, two minutes. 
Ilke Gundogan with a, a back post finish. Then Joe Canseo gets sent off on 10 minutes. Now, it's a bit of a controversial one because it's a long ball over the top that he fails to control. In my view, Danny Welbeck is the one that initiates the contact. He kind of wraps his arm over Canseo, who loses balance and falls, and drags Welbeck down with him. In the rules of the game, it is a red card. It just seemed very harsh at the time. And even watching it back, it seems very harsh. But off he goes on 10 minutes. Brighton begin to control possession, dominate the play a little bit. But then Phil Foden, in the 48th minute, goes on a run from inside his own half. Works his way into the box. And it's it's a toe-poked finish. It's really poor defending and it's really poor goalkeeping. But it, from Foden's point of view, he does brilliantly. Because he's got no support. He makes the run by himself. He takes the shot on. And he scores a good goal. But you would be furious if that was your defenders. And if that was your goalkeeper. The goalkeeper gets his angles all wrong. The defence was just a little bit all at sea. Webster didn't get across quick enough. Burn, uh, ben White didn't deal with it well enough. Just poor from, from Brighton in that regard. However, two minutes later, Leandro Trossard makes it 2-1. Then on 72, Adam Webster makes it 2-2 with a powerful header from a set piece. And then City seemed to fall apart and the defence just became a comical mess. And there's a bit of a scuffle in the box. Dan Byrne sort of falls over and just swings a foot at it. And it kind of just bounces past the goalkeeper into the net. Ederson all at sea. No idea what he was what he was doing at the time. But <clears throat> one thing that was noticeable was that this this city defense, which has, you know, transformed them, has been amazing. They've conceded 32 goals this season. That's it's just not all that good. Last season, they only conceded 35, but they were terrible. Remember, they were terrible. They've transformed this season, but they were terrible last season. They got 81 points last season. This season, they'll get a maximum of 86. And again, I don't think they'll play their full team against Everton. So, maybe a draw is possible there. But even if they win, a five-point jump from last season, being three goals better off defensively, is that really transformative compare that to 1819 where they concede 23 goals and get 98 points compare it to 1718 27 goals conceded 100 points it it's just again it speaks to how weak the league has been but it also speaks to how how overhyped city's defense has been this season uh, in particular, Ruben Diaz, who got dribbled past four times yesterday, found himself flailing on the ground more than once, um, showed positional flaw positional flaws that you would imagine Thomas Tuchel, when he's planning for the Champions League, will be very excited about. I thought John Stones had a stinker next to him as well. Uh, Diaz was the better of the two. Stones had a proper stinker. Rodri had a poor game in midfield. City just couldn't really cope when they went down to 10 men. Even though they get the next goal, defensively they just looked all over the place. They couldn't really get a foothold in the game. They also lost Ilkay Gundogan to injury. So he's going to be 
a doubt now for the Champions League final. They've already got a doubt over Kevin De Bruyne. So you would have to you would have to have concerns. Kyle Walker's also injured, as is Raheem Sterling. City are getting injuries at the worst possible time. Um, it really is the worst possible time for them to pick up those injuries. Now, I know KDB was on the bench last night, but he didn't come on. Now, we'll see if he plays against Everton, but he wasn't due to be fit for another week. So last night seemed like a bit of shenanigans to put him on the bench, maybe more for a psychological boost than anything else. Uh, as I said earlier, City will finish the, the league off against Everton. At home, it's a game that they should win, but if they play a, you know, a weakened squad, we'll wait and see. Brighton will finish their campaign away to Arsenal. I mean, it's a winnable game because Arsenal are Arsenal, but it's you know they've gotten themselves safe. They've picked up some good wins. They'll be a little bit disappointed, I think, in in fifteenth. Um, they should have been higher up the table. The, the lack of goals has really hurt them. Defensively, they've been excellent. Uh, them and Villa have the joint best defensive records out of anybody in the bottom half with 44 goals conceded. And there are three teams in the top half who've conceded more goals, those being Leicester, West Ham and Leeds. Manchester United with Harry Maguire, world's most expensive defender, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, world's most expensive right-back. They've conceded 43 Liverpool, who have been playing pub league players, uh, have conceded 42. So, you know, they've done they've done well defensively, but 40 goals scored all season. It's it's just not enough. It's it's been a big problem for them. Uh, it's something they'll have to address in the summer. Pep shamed himself a little bit with his tantrum over with Graham Potter. Uh as if as if any manager wouldn't celebrate his team coming back from 2-0 down to win 3-2 against the champions, against Champions League finalists. A bizarre reaction from Pep. I think his anger was misplaced, and I do hope he has apologised. Very hard not to like Graham Potter. So I think Pep should feel a little bit embarrassed by the whole situation. The final game then, the biggest game of the night, the one that had something big riding on it. Chelsea 2, Leicester City 1. As I said, traditionally, when we've seen these teams play, when we've seen any teams play a cup final and then a league match a couple of days later, normally it is the loser of the cup final that goes on to win the league game. And that was the case last night. Chelsea went one up on 47 from Antonio Rudiger. Now, they had had two goals ruled out in the first half. A great finish by Timo Werner was flagged to be offside. And then a scuffy finish by Werner was flagged to be a handball decision. Both correct. A little bit unfortunate for him, especially given how he celebrated the second one. But Rudiger put them one up on 47. Jorginho made a two on 66 with a penalty after a pretty foolish tackle by Wesley Fafana on Timo Werner, who was going nowhere, heading for the corner flag out of the penalty area. Chelsea should have had a penalty in the first half. Yuri Thielemans in the process of trying to clear a ball kicked through the back of Werner's leg. And that should have been a penalty. Leicester were shocking for 70 minutes in this game. Absolutely shocking. 
they had one shot on target. I think they had four shots in the first 70 minutes. They clearly came to play for a draw. In the same way that they did in the FA Cup final. Play for a draw, hope that you can score, snatch a goal. They didn't manage to snatch a goal. They conceded two. And when your defensive record isn't, you know, isn't particularly great as Leicester's hasn't been this season, it's a risky strategy. And uh, Brendan Rodgers got things wrong last night. Chelsea two up. Ian Acho makes it 2-1 on 76 with a tidy finish. Mendy maybe could do a little bit better. But Ian Acho's in incredible form at the moment. So credit to him. What that means is that Chelsea move into third place in the Premier League on 67 points. They play Aston Villa away in their final game. They know all they need to do is win that game and they are in. Villa have been desperate since the turn of the year. So it's a game Chelsea will fancy their chances in. Now they do have the Champions League final to consider. And obviously last night they picked up potentially a couple of injuries. Uh, N'Golo Kante went off injured. Mason Mount seemed to pick up an injury. Now he played on through it. But it did look like he picked up an injury. Um, Just wanted to highlight the fact that every time Thiago Silva plays and Chelsea win, Squawker and places like this put up these stats. You know, tackles won, duels won, aerial, blah, blah, blah. And ignore the nuances of how many times he gets caught out of, pos- out of position. Ignore how often he gets exposed for the lack of pace. Last night, his positioning for the Chelsea goal was a shambles. An absolute shambles. But it's okay because he won a bunch of headers. Um, Leicester are fourth. 66 points. Leicester play Tottenham at home on the final day. So that's going to be a tough game. Tottenham are pushing for Europe. Tottenham will expect that they go into that game with with Europa League football in their own hands. They play Tottenham tonight. I said they play Villa tonight in Tottenham. Then they go to Leicester. So it's a tough run for Spurs, but beat Villa tonight. And that game on the weekend is huge for them. Lose to Villa and they may prefer to miss Europe altogether uh, rather than end up in the conference, the conference league. The issue for Leicester now is they're three points clear of, of Liverpool. Liverpool have a one goal advantage in the goal difference col- uh, column. If Liverpool win tonight, they will go above Leicester on goal difference. They will have at least a two goal advantage. Which means that if Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 1-0 on the final day, Leicester need to beat Spurs 2-0. Sorry, 3-0. If Liverpool win 2-0, they've got to win 4-0. If Liverpool win 3-0, they've got to win 5-0. You see where this is going. If Liverpool were to go and put three past Burnley tonight, then it gets even more difficult. Then they've got to score five and six. And they're not getting that against Spurs, I don't think. I don't fancy them to beat Spurs. I think that game has draw written all over it. Liverpool just have to do their job tonight. They have to go and beat Burnley. Then they have to go and beat Crystal Palace in the final day of the season. That's it. Nothing else. No excuses. Burnley's record at home to the big six over the last four years is atrocious. One win, that was against Pochettino Spurs. Liverpool just have to go and win this game tonight. Simple as that. Nothing else will matter. Go and win the game tonight. And it is very much in your own hands heading into the final day of the season. 
Um, so for Leicester, it is looking at the moment like potentially missing out on Champions League football, snatching Europa League from the jaws of Champions League for back-to-back seasons because they should have had this wrapped up. This will be another mark against Brendan Rodgers. Now, I saw Gary Lineker say last night he would rather have won the FA Cup than get top four. And from Leicester's point of view, I think he's right. From a Leicester City fan point of view, I think he's right. And I think if you look at the league, Manchester City would take Champions League over a domestic cup. So would Manchester United. So would Chelsea. So would Liverpool. So would Arsenal. Arsenal have won a whole bunch of FA Cups recently. They'd trade one of them for a run in the Champions League. But I think everybody else in the league would take winning the FA Cup over finishing top four. Tottenham haven't won anything since 2008. So they'd definitely take a bit of silverware. Because Harry, Harry Kane wants medals. And I think he'd be happier with an FA Cup medal than, you know, a run in the Champions League. Uh, West Ham, they oh, no-brainer, they'd take it. Uh, Everton haven't won anything since 1995. So, no-brainer, they'd take it. Leeds, the same. Villa, the same. Wolves, Palace, Southampton, Brighton, Burnley, Newcastle, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United. They would all take it. I think there's only five teams in the league who would take Champions League qualification Overwinning the FA Cup. City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Arsenal. Everybody else, in my opinion, takes winning the Cup. And and should do. Because, like, Leicester had never won it before. Now they have. Now they know what it's like to win the FA Cup. They've been in the Champions League not, that, not all that long ago. Tottenham haven't won anything, like I said, since 08. Everton since 95. They've both been in the Champions League in the last 20 years. There's Everton fans that have never seen their team win anything. They've seen them in the Champions League. Now, they saw them in the qualifiers, not in the actual group stages. But nonetheless, they've had European runs as well. So I think Gary Lineker is right when he says that that is the bigger thing. However, Leicester have been in the top four Every single week this season, they're the only team that has not yet dropped out of the top four. But they they will for the first time tonight if Liverpool beat Burnley. And that will mean that out of the last two seasons, so 76 match weeks, Leicester would have spent 68 in the top four and then potentially missed Champions League football both times. Last season, their collapse was historic. Coming out of lockdown, they had a 99-point-something percent chance of top four, 97% chance of third, and managed to finish fifth. They've been disastrous when it comes to run-ins under Brendan Rodgers. Whatever it is, he was the same at Liverpool. He was the same at Swansea. End of season, he just has issues whatever they are he's great in cup finals though he's never lost a cup final you know you count the playoff final all the cup finals he had at um at Celtic and now at Leicester he's never lost a cup final but he can't quite get over the line in the league when the pressure's really on him choked at Liverpool in 2013-14 choked last season at Leicester doing the same thing this season There are six games tonight. 
at 6pm, we have Everton versus Wolves, Newcastle versus Sheffield United, and Tottenham against Villa. Crystal Palace versus Arsenal kicks off at 7. And then Burnley, Liverpool, and West Brom, West Ham are the 8-15 kickoffs. So, a lot of good football tonight. I think that Tottenham-Villa game should be good. Uh, Burnley, Liverpool is interesting. West Brom, West Ham will be interesting. It'll just be interesting to see whether or not West Brom put in the same level of effort as they did at the weekend, or whether that defeat in that manner just sort of kills everything, and they're just on the beach. Uh, We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll go through the news, and we'll wrap up with the gossip. Right, welcome back. So, um, Premier League Hall of Fame news. Mentioned yesterday that Eric Cantona had been inducted as the third member. Roy Keane was the fourth inductee. Nobody can have any questions, any dispute over this. Roy Keane is the greatest midfielder of the Premier League era, the greatest captain of the Premier League era. Dennis Burkamp was number five. And again, you can't deny or dispute the incredible impact he had on the Premier League. 315 Premier League goals, 87. Sorry, 315 Premier League appearances, 87 goals, 94 appearances, three titles, four-time player of the month. Sensational footballer. His partnerships with Ian Wright, Nicholas Sanalka and Thierry Henry are all among the very best the, the league has seen. He was just a joy to watch when he was on form. Just different class. Uh, I should mention Keane, 366 appearances, 39 goals, 33 assists. He would have scored a lot more goals if it hadn't been for the ACL tear. Seven league titles and two uh, Player of the Month awards. Roy Keane was just different class. Absolutely different class. And um, there's a really good uh, clip going around on social media of Tim Howard talking about Roy Keane, the leader. It's very very much worth your while to watch. The sixth inductee um, is Frank Lampard. Now, there's no question Lampard was going to get in and absolutely deserves to be in. But I do think it's a little bit early to put him in, considering some of the other inductees who finished their careers before him and were just better players than him. But 609 appearances, 177 goals, 102 assists, three titles, one player of the year and four player of the month awards. There's no doubt Lampard is a Hall of Fame caliber player. There's no case against Frank Lampard. It is just that the nominees like Tony Adams, like Andy Cole, like Robbie Fowler, like Matt Letizia, like Peter Schmeichel and Ian Wright, they should have been in before him because their careers just finished a long time before him. And it would just be make more sense to go in a chronological order rather than in, you know, all fan votes, which were always going to be a bit skewed. Um, an incredible player, though, Lampard. Goals from midfield are a huge currency in the game, and very few did it better than Frank. What we're seeing from Bruno is very reminiscent of what we saw from Frank from a similar position. People think Frank was a central midfielder, but 
if you look at how he actually played, he always had at least two holding midfielders behind him, and he had all that freedom to get forward. In Chelsea's 4-3-3 under Mourinho, it was very much a 4-2-3-1. Lampard played more as a 10 behind Drogba with wingers. Uh, they even played a diamond, and he played the more attacking role. So what Lampard did is is very similar to what Bruno does right now. Um, and everybody, well, not everybody, but most people appreciate how brilliant Bruno is. Unfortunately, my producer is one of those who doesn't. Um, hi, guy. Um, yeah, look, no, no case against Lampard, but it does just feel a little bit early uh, for Lampard to get in. Um, bad news. Eberichi Ezi, the wonderful attacking midfielder for Crystal Palace, who has been one of the most fun players to watch this season, one of the most exciting players in the league, a brilliant dribbler, a great passer, lovely balance, can score goals, create goals. He has torn his Achilles tendon. Um, Now, this is not the career-ending injury it may have been 15, 20 years ago, but it is still a very, very serious injury that's going to keep him out for a long time. Uh, His first season in the Premier League had gone very, very well. He'd scored four goals in 34 games, but he had been been the real playmaker for this Crystal Palace team. And at times when Hodgson allowed them to play, him and Zaha really did express themselves and link up brilliantly. Um, So he is going to be out at least until after Christmas. And he may well miss all of next season. And when you consider the fact that Palace are already in need of a rebuild because they have so many players out of contract and there's the Zaha situation where he may want to leave, it feels like the job just got a little less appealing. It really does feel like the job got a little less appealing. Now, there's... A whole bunch of names being linked. Frank Lampard seems to be one of the favourites. Others in the mix, Eddie Howe, Sean Dyche, Valerian Ishmael. Um, Fonseca, who's leaving Roma, his name has been dropped in of late. Chris Wilder's been mentioned. Graham Potter, obviously. Uh, Steve Cooper of Swansea. Frank and Patrick Vieira. I like. I genuinely think Lampard is... Other than Ishmael, I think Lampard is the weakest uh, contender there. But whoever takes it, you are looking at taking on a situation where one of your best, your two best players may want to leave. The other one is now out injured long term. And a bunch of your other players, your important players, are out of contract. People like Patrick Van Anhol, looks like he'll leave this summer. That's a big blow. Like, I think that job is going to be hard to take for anybody now. It's going to be a struggle next season. And if it's Lampard, I think put your money on them finding their way into the championship. Um, More on the Harry Kane story. It has come out that he is pushing for his transfer to be completed before the Euros. That seems very unlikely, given the Euros start in the middle of June. Uh, But on the Athletic today... Carol Anka has written a piece talking about, you know, things I was saying yesterday. The fee is going to be very, very high. And in this COVID market, it's quite hard to see who's going to be willing to pay all that money for him. 
So Carl has taken the idea that maybe Tottenham would be open to a little bit of player trading. Maybe they'd be open to taking player plus cash. As I suggested yesterday when I said if they was go to go to PSG, getting Abdou Diallo back as part of the settlement could be a, a clever move for Spurs. So he's put down the following clubs. Chelsea, the two Manchester clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. And what could they put together for Harry Kane? So for Tottenham, oh sorry, for Chelsea, he suggested the following players. Tammy Abraham, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ethan Ampadu and Valentino Livramento. Now he's the he's the young attacking right back that I couldn't think of a couple of weeks ago. So whether it, whether it would be one or all of these players, we, we'll go through them. Tammy Abraham would make sense. Stylistically, he's a decent replacement. He's a number nine. He's a proven Premier League goal scorer. That would make sense for Tottenham. Callum Hudson-Odoi would fill that right wing position, which has been problematic for them. You then have Hudson-Odoi, Ali and Son behind whoever the striker is, be it, uh, be it Tammy or somebody else that you buy in. Ethan Ampadu, potential at centre-back, potential at holding midfield. So could be a backup to Heusberg, but also could be a starting centre-back. Maybe not immediately, but you could develop him to be the Toby Alderweireld replacement. Ampadu has a massively high ceiling. He is a very, very talented young player. He's had a good season at Sheffield United, despite all the chaos going on. He's been one of the few consistently decent performers. Livermento... He's too young at the moment. He's only 18 to say, well, he, you know, he slots in at right back. But you look at the last two right backs that came through from Chelsea. Reese James, he's a good player. He's not as good as people make him out to be, but he is a good player. And Tariq Lamptey, again, not as good as people make him out to be, but a very exciting player. If this guy's from that same kind of stock, if he's from that same kind of level, maybe he's a good long-term option to bring in. So all four of them you could see being interesting to Tottenham, and they're all players Chelsea don't need. They clearly don't have any want to keep Tammy. Hudson-Odoi, I mean, he's played more as a wing-back than a winger under Tuchel. Ampadu's been on loan. Now, I, I think they'd be foolish to keep to, to let Ampadu go. I, I think if you're going to stick to a back three, you bring him back and you just sit him behind Thiago Silva and you have him take Silva's spot next year. And then Livermento, I mean, surely you want to keep good cover at right back because you've got James there. Surely you'd like to have a, a quality backup so that if he's out, you're not having a big drop-off. Um, Manchester City, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Nathan Aki and Benjamin Mendy. I would throw Mendy out straight away. They have Sergio Regulon. They don't need a left back. He is unpredictable inconsistent and injury prone. So throw him out. They won't want any part of him. He's also on ridiculous wages. Nathan Aki is someone that could interest him, though. A left-footed centre-back who'd fit well with Toby. Now, the problem is neither of them are great in the air, so that's not an ideal partnership in the Premier League. But if down the line you're looking to bring in a replacement for Toby, you can go and get someone more early dominant. Aki's a good defender. He's also a versatile defender, and he has leadership skills. So Aki would be an interesting one. Gabriel Jesus, talented finisher, 
doesn't have Kane's all-round game, but very few do, would require City to, or Spurs rather to change how they play because he's not going to be as involved in any of the build-up play. He's going to get on the end of things. But he's a super talented player within the 18-yard box. And Raheem Sterling, I don't think there's any small possibility that City would let him go. I really don't. Sterling will, I think, turn 27 this year. He's right smack in the middle of his prime. Hasn't had a great season this year. But in the previous two seasons, he's one of the best players in the league. Uh, I don't think you let Raheem Sterling go. For Tottenham, if they were to move to a 4-3-3, he could play on the right with Son on the left. And if you found the right player to play in between them, someone who could do a somewhat similar job to what Roberto Firmino does at Liverpool, and then Son and Sterling are your two main goal scorers, that would that would potentially work very, very well. In a 4-3-3, sorry, in a 4-2-3-1, I do think Sterling is better on the left, but that's also Son's position. So unless you're moving Son into the number nine role, which again you could do, I I don't know that it'll work in four two three one. It would require a change of shape. I don't think there's any possibility that City would let him go. Now, Guy has just mentioned Bernardo Silva. I do think City would consider letting him go because he's not as important to them, and he would be brilliant for Spurs. You get him in off the right, Son off the left, Delhi as your ten. Bernardo is an incredibly talented footballer. He's also an incredibly hard-working footballer. His great versatility would allow you to play 4-3-3 if you wanted. 4-4-2, a diamond midfield. Whatever you want, Bernardo Silva will find a way to fit into it at a high level. So Bernardo Silva would make more sense than Raheem Sterling in that regard for City. Spurs would definitely take Sterling. But nobody, I, I just don't see any possibility that City would let him go. Manchester United. Jesse Lingard, Diogo Delot, and Alex Twanzebi. So Spurs had big interest in Martial a few years ago. So that's a possibility. Martial wants to be a number nine. But I don't think he suits playing as a sole striker. I think he's ideally suited to being the nine in a three as opposed to the 9 in a 4-2-3-1. So he would require a slight change in shape from Spurs, as would Sterling. But Martial, to me, would make sense. The problem is going to be, what's his value? Because he's coming off a dreadful season. He's only really had one excellent season for United. United paid a ridiculous amount for him when they brought him in. So they would probably want quite a bit for him. Whereas I don't think Spurs would, would value him as highly as United do. So you'd have to find a common ground there. Jesse Lingard, Tottenham should have no interest in him. None. He's not top six caliber player. He's not had a consistently good season in quite a while. And even his best season wasn't consistently good. He'd have a good run, a bad run, a good run, a bad run. Jesse Lingard is one to avoid. I, I don't know why Diogo Delaw is there. He's he's a fine backup right back. They already have backup right backs. They don't need him. Tunzebi, I do like. He's talented. I just don't think he's a top six caliber starter. So you're offering squad players. Uh, he is United's fourth centre back. At Tottenham, 
I think he'd be probably third. I don't think he's a starter for any top six club. So again, you're offering squad players, so no. That's that's the weakest group. All of the Chelsea players would make sense. And three of them, two of them would be immediate starters and one would be a, a long-term starter. So one would be a starter in the short term and one then in the long term. The City group, Sterling and Aki walk in and improve the team. Gabby Jesus is probably a starter straight away, but again, requires a change. They wouldn't want Mendy. But the United group, Martial's the only one you'd touch there. Uh, Barcelona, they are skint, massively in debt. Antoine Griezmann, don't think they'd want him. At his age, the money he's on. Now, he could be a great fit in the front three. You could move Son centrally, play him off the left. You could play him off the right, Son off the left. But you still need to find the number nine. Coutinho, wonderfully gifted, obviously. We know what he was like at Liverpool. But he's just been really poor since going to, to Barca. Even at Bayern, he didn't always show the consistency you want. Now, the next two are interesting. Clement Langlet, inconsistent a little bit. Not a top-level centre-back, but I think he's the type of guy who's a slightly better version of Johnny Evans. And I think that could be what Spurs need. You play, you pair him with Toby Alderweireld. That, to me, is a strong partnership. That, to me, is a partnership that works. And then young Emerson, the right-back. He's been on loan at Real Betis the last couple of years in a, so, some weird joint ownership thing. But he would solve Tottenham's problems at right back. He's very good going forward. Has a lot of work to do defensively, but a great outlet. Him and Regulon could be a lot of fun bombing forward on opposite flanks. Maybe better suited to a back three wing backs, but it could be fun. You would say no to the two big ones, Griezmann and Coutinho. Age, wage profile, no thank you. Both on the decline, don't touch them. But the other two could be interesting. Then you have Real Madrid, also broke. Gareth Bale, run a mile. You've seen him. Yes, he's had flashes. Yes, he's had games where he scored a hat-trick. He doesn't have much interest in playing football anymore. Say goodbye to Gareth Bale. He's no value anyway. What would be the value of Gareth Bale? Real can't give him away. Rafael Varane is a very interesting one, though, because Varane next to Alderweireld would be very exciting as a centre-back pairing. But they are both injury-prone. They are quite similar in terms of how they defend. And maybe there's a lack of toughness between them, a lack of dominance. But Varane is a very interesting one. Luka Jovic would be very, very good. If they could get hold of him to play up front as a number nine, that'd be clever. And Alvaro Odriozola to come in at right back. Quality attacking right back. You know, him and Regal on either side. They know each other from the time at Real. Odriozola, yes. Jo- uh, Luka Jovic, yes. Varane, yes. Gareth Bale, no. That's a really strong group. There are others at Real that they could potentially target as well. Maybe they could ask for one of the young Brazilian attackers. Maybe they could get cheeky and ask for Vinicius or or Rodrigo. Uh, but that Real group is, is quite interesting other than Bale. And then Paris Saint-Germain, Mauro Icardi. As a number nine, if you can get the best out of Icardi, absolutely you take him. Absolutely you take him. He's a fantastic player. 
Julian Draxler has just signed a new contract. He's not going to go anywhere. Um, Colin Dagba is a solid right back, promising young player, but I don't think he's better than Kyle Walker-Peters, who they deemed not good enough last summer. And then Abdu Diallo, who I mentioned yesterday, is one that they should definitely be in on. So Icardi and Diallo, absolutely. The other two, no. Uh, looking at the PSG squad, there's not really a whole bunch of players there that you'd say would be massively uh, interesting to Tottenham. They're, they wouldn't let Presnel Kimbembe go. Diallo for sure. Maybe Tilo Carrer as another centre-back option, but I don't know if he's any better than what they have. He, he certainly hasn't developed at PSG the way you hoped he would have. Um, they're not going to let Verratti go. You wouldn't want any of the midfielders, I don't think. Yeah, that's probably it, actually. Icardi and Diallo are the, are the two you'd want. So there is possibilities there for Tottenham. If they did want to get a player back in return, or even a couple of players back in return, alongside a bag of money, it is a possibility that they could make something happen. Like Icardi, I think, I think PSG paid forty million for him. He's probably worth thirty now. Diallo's probably twenty-five. They could say to PSG, "Look, give us seventy million in the two players. That's one hundred and twenty-five million, and we'll call that a deal. And that seventy million would get would get them the goalkeeper they need and the right winger they need, and they'd be." They'd be very, very strong. And they could add a couple of squad pieces on after that. Um, looking at the Real thing, I mean, if they give you Varane, he's got, I think, a year left in his contract. Jovic is probably 35 million at this point. Audrey Zola, maybe 15. You could you could maybe push them to 20, 25 million on top of the three players. Uh, Barca... I mean, I, I don't know how you'd value Emerson. 15 million, maybe. You know, Langlet, 30 million. So again, you're looking at 80 million, and we know Barca don't have 80 million in the bank. Uh, United, I would say Martial, probably 40 million. So you're looking at 80, 85 million in Martial. You don't want any of the rest that they're offering there. And looking through the United squad, there's not a whole lot of much that you would want. Maybe. Maybe they could demand Dean Henderson. Maybe they just say, look, give us Dean Henderson, Martial, and 40 million, and we'll call it quits. Now, I know that's valuing Dean Henderson very, very highly, but he is a very good goalkeeper, and he would solve their problem of, you know, Hugo Lloris being past his best. You'd probably want more than 40. Maybe you want 50, 55 million, but maybe that's what they could do. They could pressure to get someone like him. Ask for whatever you think you can get. For me, the first thing I'd ask for is Mason Greenwood. Then I'd ask for Marcus Rashford. Then I'd ask for Abdu Diallo. And even if Martial is the one I want, I'd still ask for Diallo before him. Because if I make it seem like I'm settling for Martial, I can lower what the value of him is. Uh, for City, I mean, if they could get... If they get Sterling and Aki, that's probably about a fair trade. Aki, I think City paid 40 million. He's probably not worth 40 million. But 
I think Sterling's an 80 million, maybe 85 million pound player. So maybe there's not a whole lot of cash there. Chelsea, I mean, Tammy, one year, two years left, 40 million maybe. Hudson Adoy hasn't played a whole lot off the, the Achilles tear, 30. Ethan Ampadu, maybe 15. So you're again, you're looking at 40 million on top. There's definitely options here. There's definitely ways for clubs to get him and potentially give up a couple of players that they don't really want anymore, like Chelsea with Tammy. But we don't see a whole lot of this in football, unfortunately. Now, I do think we'll see more of it this year. We see it on the continent more often. We don't really see it in the Premier League. But I do think this summer it could be an option with the shortage of cash. Uh, We'll wrap up with the gossip. Chelsea have made contact with Bayern Munich about a move for Robert Lewandowski, but face stiff competition from PSG and Barcelona. I would guess this is his agent uh, playing silly beggars and he will get a nice new contract at Bayern Munich. England striker Harry Kane is eyeing a move worth more than £100 to Manchester City in the summer after telling Tottenham he wants to leave. Uh, Manchester United are keeping tabs while Spurs would be reluctant to sell to Chelsea. So there's nothing new there. Tottenham started planning for Kane's exit in February and explored the possibility of signing Erling Haaland. Um, I would imagine that was a fairly short exploration. Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says he cannot rule out the club signing a new striker despite Edinson Cavani signing a new deal. I do think United are more likely to be willing to pay for Kane. And I do think Martial could make it an interesting thing. I do think Martial could make it interesting. If you've got 80 million. Now, if you've got, if you've got 85, 80 to 85 million in Martial for Kane. Can Calves from Sporting to play on the right... Diallo from PSG in the middle. Rajkovic in goal. Probably have a bit of money left over. You'd also have the likes of Larice to sell on. You can sell Eric Dyer or Sissoko. I would probably, I, I, to be honest, I'd sell both of them. I'd sell both Sissoko and Dyer because I'd have Roden and Davins and Sanchez as backups to Toby and Diallo. You'd sell Aurier because you've got Tenganga and Doherty at right back. You've got Regulon and Davies at left back. You'd want a backup goalkeeper. You'll find one on a free. Uh, Rui Silva of Granada's on a free. He'd be a quality backup goalkeeper to bring in. The other Serb- Serbian goalkeeper is on a free as well. I think he's at Elche, I want to say. I think he's at Elche. He's a decent keeper and he's on a free as well. Um... But then you'd have Heisberg and Edinburgh in midfield with Winks, Skip, and Lacelso as backups. That's pretty strong. Concalves, Deli, Sun, Bergvine, Mora, Lamella. And Lascelles again can all play in that line behind Martial up front. You're still going to need a backup striker, but again, you'd have 
the money from Dyer, Sissoko, and Aurier, and potentially um, Larice to buy your the backup goalkeeper you want if you don't sign one on a free, and then that backup striker. So I do think there is a, a strong possibility for Spurs to sell Kane and get better. I mean, they did it before. They sold Bale and got better. Now, it took them a little bit of time, but with the right manager, with the right person picking the players, I, I genuinely think Spurs could do it. I, I really do. Um, Liverpool will open talks over a new contract with Alison Becker and Fabinho over the summer and plan to start discussions when the, pre- the pair return for pre-season in July. It's very, very important that Liverpool get both of those two signed long-term. Crystal Palace are in talks with Frank Lampard about succeeding Roy Hodgson, according to TalkSport, who will likely have heard it from Harry Redknapp. Uh, Former Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe, along with Ishmael and and Steve Cooper, are all seen as contenders. Carlo Ancelotti says, any unhappy players at at the club can leave, while the Italian played down speculation, linking him with replacing Zinedine Zidane as Real Madrid manager. Um, yeah, once bitten, twice shy, I'd imagine, in terms of Real, but I can see why they would would want Carlo, though I don't think Carlo's quite the same manager he was when he was there the first time. Uh, he's right to say that unhappy players can leave, and I, you know, he should push through on that, get rid of whoever is bringing down the morale. Um, Real Madrid have asked club legend Raul if he would be open to succeeding Zidane as manager. That is, obviously, it's a very Spanish type of thing to um, to go for, you know, a legend who knows the club inside out. He is the manager of the Real Madrid-Castilla team, uh, has been for a couple of years. That's obviously where, where Zidane was before he became manager as well. So it, it could be very, very interesting. He's been at the academy now for, I think, three or four years. Um, he's obviously impressed, so it could be an interesting one. I, I do think Real might need somebody with a bit more experience uh, in terms of being able to rebuild, because I think there is a, a bit of a rebuild needed there, but we'll wait and see. Um, the Spanish side's hope of signing Kylian Mbappe will be at risk if Sedan leaves the Bernabeu. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true, if I'm being honest. I wouldn't put much faith in that story at all. Um, Barcelona could let Brazilian goalkeeper Neto leave in the summer with Arsenal interested in resuming the pursuit of the 31-year-old. That would be a very Arsenal signing, signing an average player, probably on a big contract. Southampton are poised to make a bid for... Borussia Dortmund and Denmark midfielder Thomas Delaney. He's a very average midfielder, but he would be a good squad player to have, uh, especially for Southampton. Tottenham have made an offer for Matthias Ginter, but face competition from Liverpool and Inter Milan. I would put money on the fact that they haven't. I genuinely would put a substantial amount of money on the fact that the team with no manager have not put a bid in for a player. Genuinely. Um, Women's Super League winning manager Emma Hayes is poised to sign a new Chelsea contract. Fair play. Aston Villa made contact with representatives of Bordeaux's Mady Zerkane, 
having followed the Algerian winger closely for a couple of months. He's meant to be very, very talented. Leeds have been linked with Hertha Berlin's 21-year-old Brazilian forward, Matthias Cunha, who has attracted interest from Napoli, Atalanta and Monaco. He'd be very, very good for Leeds. He's a very, very talented player who I think will be a great fit in that um, in that Leeds team. Uh, Southampton are lining up Rems left-back Gislaine Conan as a replacement for uh, England defender Ryan Bertrand. England defender is a bit of a stretch now. Uh, whose contract expires. Aston Villa have also been linked with the Ivorian defender. Southampton could also make a move for Lazio's 26-year-old Albanian goalkeeper, Thomas Strakosha. He's a very good goalkeeper. I would be I would be interested to see how he would do in the Premier League. Chelsea have shown interest in Wolfsburg's French defender, Maxence Lacroix, who is 21. It's believed Wolfsburg won about £30 million for him. Uh, but they're in the Champions League, so I don't know if he'll be in a rush to leave. Very, very talented player. Wolfsburg bought him for a song uh, out of the second division of France. Very, very talented player. Um, Arsenal have made a £17.2 million bid for 23-year-old Norwegian Sander Berge. But Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United want at least £25.8 million and a sell-on. He would make sense for Arsenal. He is the type of midfielder they could do with. Um, it, that would be a clever signing. That's quite un-Arsenal-like. Newcastle have taken up a 12-month extension on Paul Dummett. Okay. Um, Liverpool have stepped up their interest in Portuguese midfielder Pedro Cancalves, the one I was talking about for Tottenham, making contact with Sporting over a move for the 22-year-old they were linked heavily with him in January. He's had an unbelievable season. He wouldn't necessarily fit into how they play at the moment, but there is a lot of thought that Jurgen Klopp is going to change the shape of the team, and then he could fit very, very well. Arsenal have been ruled out of signing Eduardo Camavinga, despite being strongly linked with a move for the France International. I wonder why. I wonder why they've been ruled out. Uh, Lazio were in advantage. Nobody cares what Lazio were doing with Danilo D'Ambrosio. Awful. Um, that's it. That is the gossip for today. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. And thank you to Foxhound for the music. Uh, enjoyed the games tonight. Six of them starting at six, then seven, then 8.15. Uh, it should be fun. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.